Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable, where we believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. Guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Burnett. Hello, guys. Hi, Casey. Morning. How's it going? We have a special guest today, Anthony Kirkland. Hello, Anthony. Good morning. Anthony has been a uh, longtime friend of our family and practicing over 40 years in law, last 20 years in elder care law, which is our topic today. I think this this topic is very important because so many people have questions. You know, ideally, we have millions of dollars in our retirement nest egg, and we have homes that are paid off, and we have maybe some long-term care policy that would cover any expensive end-of-life medical events, but that's not what happens uh, to majority of families. And what I want to focus on today is what happens if, you know, typical scenario, we mom and dad have a house. They maybe have a few hundred thousand dollars in in investments and maybe have a good decent income through social security, maybe a pension, small pension, but we've hit a roadblock and that let's say dad has to go to assisted living or nursing home scenario. How do we get relief? Because nursing homes are $8,000 a month. Can be. 6700 to 7000 in Cobb County. If you have probably uh, the average. Alzheimer's, it, the price can get even steeper if you sure. need a lot of care, a lot of watching. Let's just kind of jump right into it. Anthony, let's, let's talk about that scenario exactly. What do we do for dad in a case like this? What we're looking for from a Medicaid standpoint is how can we qualify a spouse who is in a nursing home for Medicaid? So it's according to what the assets are that this person has, the um, maximum this person can have is $2,000 in assets and income of no more than twenty three forty nine a month. So if they have something greater than that, then we have to find a way to spin that person down. Georgia's a spin-down state. So how can we legally spin that person down? If they're married and if they own a home and the title to that house is in both the husband and the, and the wife, then Georgia allows the house to be transferred to the community spouse. This would be the person not going into nursing home free and clear, just give that transfer it by deed to the spouse who is not going into the nursing home. That asset then becomes exempt from Medicaid estate recovery. If the husband's income, see, the typical Social Security for a person, a man, might be somewhere between 1300 and $2,100, 2200 a month. So, from an income standpoint, as long as it's less than twenty three forty nine a month, then he qualifies income wise. And the question is, can we take his other assets and get him below two thousand dollars? And in most cases, yes, we can. We can get a person qualified. Let's say it's according to how much they have and how we're going to spend that money down. Georgia will allow you to let him uh, loan that money to children, and then do a payback period. And then the payback then becomes income, which is then used for Medicaid. Of course, once you do a payback period with a note, a promissory note or whatever, 
he's going to have greater income when you add that 20, the money from the promissory note plus his income is going to be greater than 2349. You have to have in place what's called a Miller Trust that handles excess income. The family can have one car and it's exempt. If they have two cars, they're going to have to get rid of one of them. We didn't cover that earlier, but that's that's something they have to do. They, they can only have one vehicle. They can have up to $10,000 cash value in life insurance, but we usually use that money to buy a burial policy so that the person at the time of death will have that paid for, or most of it paid for. And let's say if they didn't have a burial policy and he had $20,000 in assets over and above 2000 we would use that part of that money to buy this burial policy so we would reduce his assets by $10,000. So then we may end up with a situation where we have to get rid of 10000 some way. So there are ways to do it. Now, can we just simply transfer those assets into the spouse that's not going into the nursing home's name? So if you've got $100,000 in a brokerage account and savings, can you just move it to the to the wife's name? As long as most of that community spouse can have is $128,640. So yes, we could. Up to 128000 and some change. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So if they're over that, the question is, how do we get rid of that money? So you can buy a compliant a Medicaid-compliant annuity, create an income stream, then use the income to pay it back to the individual, which will go through the Miller Trust. And uh, But you got to keep everything below in assets, $2,000, and then you got to keep the income below $2,349. But if you have excess income, if you have a Miller Trust in place, it's an irrevocable trust, by the way, but it's just an income-only trust. So the income, excess income is paid to this trust, and then the trust pays the money to Medicaid. So the excess income is over the $2,000. 2349 a month. 2349 a month. So you, if you have income below that, you're not worried you're about okay. it. You're okay. You don't have to have a Miller Trust. But income above that, we need to go through this Miller Trust. And you would be the person who would create that trust for them. Correct. And then who manages the inflows and outflows? Uh, usually it's a family member. It's going to be a spouse or a child, an adult son. Easily, it's a lot of trouble. Really, you got to keep up with the accounting of it. You got to make sure the income is paid out every month. It has to balance out the zero each correct each month. Yes. So I guess to go in that a little bit further, you if you've got four thousand dollars in monthly income from various sources, it would come into that account. Anything in excess of the twenty three? No, the twenty three forty nine would still go to Medicaid. That, okay. All that money that flows through will go to Medicaid. Okay, so Medicaid is capturing all those assets. You can retain $70 a month. That's a personal needs allowance. They do allow that. So people use that money for, in the case of women, they have to still have their hair fixed, whether they're in a nursing home or not. They still like to have their hair fixed. They still like to buy makeup. But in this case, we have a a living spouse not in that situation. So that spouse, in our example – would be allowed to have, what's the monthly allowance for oh, that spouse? The monthly allowance for a spouse would be 3216 a month. So $3,216 of that 4000 would she be able to retain? Possibly. 
Yeah, but you got to understand, most of the, the person who's not in the nursing home, they have their own income, so they they're going to have Social Security. So right, true. If they have a thousand dollars in income, the most you can divert to them would be two thousand two hundred sixteen of the person who's in the nursing home. You can divert it back to the community spouse. Okay, and keep one car. <laughs> That's right. Keep one car. You know, you got to understand, Medicaid is for poor people. That's how they, that's why they created it to right. keep people from being impoverished to or having to go to nursing homes. You know, you understand that Social Security does not pay for nursing homes. Right. It's paid for privately unless you qualify for Medicaid, which is a poor person's income to pay for nursing homes. Nursing homes can make a lot of people poor at $8,000 a month. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so if you're, sure. if you're not poor going in, you stay there long enough, you, know, Correct. you, you might be that way. Yes, yes. <laughs> so the Miller Trust is really a vehicle to establish the ability to qualify for the Medicaid benefit, okay? So that you get the maximum benefit from it, and then on every dollar on top of that, that flows through the Miller Trust goes to the Correct. Uh, otherwise dollar yeah. one of the individual who's affected yeah. would go to the nursing home care facility and Medicaid wouldn't pay anything. Right. Right. Miller Trust simply is an income-only trust. It's created to handle income coming into a person. It's irrevocable. At the time of death, if there's any money left over, it all goes back to the state of Georgia in excess of what's owed if the person's paid up and their liabilities to the state, then the money would go to individuals identified in the trust. But most of the time, it's going to go back to the state. So let's transition there for a second. So if, the, in this case, husband passes away yep. and wife still remains. So the house, we were able to put the house just in her name. Correct. So, it's, so, so the house wouldn't be up for grabs. That's right. It's and exempt. the state's just done at that point. Correct? That's right. If they don't have any assets to go after, they will just abandon it. In our case, we we'll talk about IRAs, I guess. So yes. If if he had an IRA, IRAs are exempt. The only thing the state wants from the IRAs is the RMDs. But not after they pass away. No, not after they pass away. They won't go after IRAs, SEPs, or any qualified income. So the best way to navigate this is to be married. Yeah, it's, there's there's an advantage. There's an advantage. But these strategies, we just, we just came up with a whole new matchmaking website. <laughs> uh, and these strategies are are based on making sure that the surviving spouse still has yes assets to live on and have quality of life afterwards. Yeah, they don't want to. They have an anti-impoverishment mentality in the Medicaid world, so. They will allow that community spouse to retain about $128,000 without any penalty. The community spouse could be working, and she could be making 10000 a month. They don't care. You can make as much as you want income-wise for the person who's staying at home. The person in the nursing home, of course, he, he or she is not going to be working, and his income stream or her income stream is going to be from Social Security or from other streams of income that can be created for that person. So it sounds like we can navigate this fairly well, again, on husband, wife, mom, dad uh, scenario, right? We'll shift it back to, let's say it's just mom surviving now. Yes. So mom has a house in her name, full and clear, a few hundred thousand dollars in retirement assets, and maybe $50,000 in the bank. How do we get mom on Medicare or Medicaid in this case? 
Well, let me take what I would say would be the perfect Medicaid person. If you can fit them within the what's allowed by Medicaid, then you can get them Medicaid without any issue. So let's say the person has $2,000 a month in Social Security. He or she does not own a home. They own a car, and their income is less than 2300 a month, and their assets are $2,000, and that's it. There are some people like that. That person qualifies automatically for Medicaid. Once you tell Medicaid what they have, then this person goes into Medicaid, in a nursing home, and qualifies for Medicaid. Now, if the person that we're talking about, this individual like Casey just mentioned, has assets greater than $2,000, then we have to find a way to deal with that asset. So if they have this $50,000, I think that's what you mentioned, $50,000, what can we do with that $50,000? Or well, $48,000. 48, <laughs> yes, correct. It'd be $48,000 we've got to get rid of. we got to spend it down within 30 days of the time they're qualifying for Medicaid. So first off, I would do is say, well, do you have a burial policy? Nope, I don't have one. Let's go get you one. So they go to the funeral home and they buy an a burial policy or cremation policy, and they pay $10,000. So they've just legally spent $10,000, so they're down to $38,000. Then we say, well, do you have any debts? Yeah, I owe $5,000 to credit cards. Fine. We pay the $5,000 to the credit cards. So now we're down to, what, forty-three. So then we have to find other ways to spend that money down. They're going to have to pay the attorney, the one that's planning this stuff. So at the average fee... That's never hardly been mentioned. It's usually one to one and a half times the monthly average income for a nursing home. So that might be 7000 bucks. Could be ten. So we've got a little bit of money left over. What do we do with it? Well, we can take that money and buy a, an annuity for this person. We spend all the money buying the annuity. We spend the balance of it on the annuity. The annuity then, the recipient, the payee back from the annuity is the going to be the person, but it all goes into Medicaid, every bit of it. So that income stream is then diverted through the trust, the Irrevocable Income Trust, or the Miller Trust, and then we've qualified that person once we get them down to $2,000. They can have the 2000 in their bank account at all times. I usually get it down to about 1990 just to be safe. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if it gets over $2,000, guess what you get? You get a letter from the state and say, you're overqualified. You you don't get Medicaid this month. You got to spend that money down. And they will do that. So they're keeping up. They're keeping up with how much money that person has in the bank. So how do they find out about it? Well, they just ask you to give them a copy of the bank bank statements. And I always, if somebody has more than $2,000 in a month, somehow they get some money in from somebody, we're going to have to get that money spent during that month that they get that money that's in excess of $2,000. So some things that could possibly get them over the limit, say that they had an uncle who died and left them $10,000 in life insurance. Well, you have to report that money to Medicaid. You've got to get rid of that money. You've got to spend that $10,000 that month. It's got to be out just, of that person's and account. It, and it just can't be gifted to a... It can't be given thing. away, no. Yeah. Yeah, it has to have a has to have a purpose or reason, something you can legally spend that money down on. So again, you're looking at a 
situation where it could be a loan to a child. You can loan that 10000 to a child and then make that child pay the money back. So you're creating an income stream back, which can be used for Medicaid. But you might incur a penalty, but you use part of that money to pay for the penalty, period. So it sounds like income is not really that hard to navigate around. It's really just the assets. It's $2,000 in assets. And the exclusion would would still be the home, right? You're allowed to have a home and a car. Yeah. The home is always exempt. Whether you're single, married, or whatever, it's always exempt. It's just that if you're single, the Medicaid has the right to use a state recovery after the death of the person who's right. receiving I, Medicaid. And I think this is what people get confused because people think that okay, after I pass away, they're going to come after all my assets. And it's not quite as brutal as that. It's really whatever the last remaining asset is, and all they're trying to recover is what was spent in the nursing home. So in our married example, if a person passed away, well, we've already transferred the house to the spouse that's not in the nursing home situation. That house is free and clear. It's not subject to a state recovery. Correct. So right. then if, but if we have mom and she's the last surviving, her house would be subject to that. That correct? is correct. So let's say that Medicaid, this person who died that was on Medicaid was in the nursing home for 10 months. You have to add up how much money the state has paid toward their care. So let's say it's 60000 bucks. So if the house is the only asset remaining and it sells for 300000 well, $60,000 of that money will be paid back to the state of Georgia. Because of for they'll, they'll put a lien on it. Correct. You're not, not going to sneak away with it. it. No, no. They know exactly what's going on. They're pretty sharp. So we didn't talk about this uh, pre-podcast, but you, know, you have people who are on Medicaid in Georgia that are not in nursing homes. They're getting, you know, their prescriptions, their medications and, and all that. And then there's Medicaid for nursing. That's a separate application. Yeah. Well, that's it's all two I, separate things. That's all I deal with is Medicaid and nursing homes. Correct. But I want our listener to understand that those are two separate things. My understanding is that the clawback for the prescriptions and the doctor's visits and that, that very rarely happens is my understanding. Yeah. I don't deal with that. So I really don't know. I could find out, but I don't. But the nursing know. home is generally what's they're going to try to recover those. Absolutely. So, what are some things we can do while we're of sound mind? You know, if I'm a son or a daughter, and I'm thinking, man, they just described my parents, and my parents are in their you know mid seventies and good health. Long term care insurance would be the first thing that pops in my mind that they could do. Of course. The longer person waits to get that long-term care insurance, the greater the premium. Right. So, so let's assume those premiums aren't affordable because they're not for most people. We talked a little bit before about an irrevocable trust. Correct. Yes, yes. You can create a Medicaid asset protection trust. These trusts are irrevocable. They have to be in place for five years. In other words, in place means they have to be funded. You have to actually create the trust. And then you transfer a home into that trust, or you can transfer savings accounts. You don't there's not a whole lot of need to do an IRA because they're exempt anyway. Other assets you can put into the trust. But once you've done that, you're actually making a gift to this trust. It's a defective trust. I know that sounds weird, but it's intentionally defective. And the defect in the trust is the fact that the person who creates the trust retains the right to change beneficiaries. So 
if you have the right to change a beneficiary, then that's still having control over the gift, and that's what makes it a defect. But it's a legal defect, which is permitted. What would we put in there? Just the home primarily? Is that what you see? Yes. No other assets? We could put cash in there. Now, once you put it in there, though, you've given it away. You've gifted it. Right. So you have to ask permission. Is, how do you want it? How can you get that money back? Well, the only possible way you can get it back is if the beneficiaries in that trust were to make a gift back to the grantor or the person who created the trust. So if I'm of sound mind. Maybe I don't think I'm going to go to a nursing home, but maybe I know that my mom did or someone else did and in my family. And so I could simply place my home into this irrevocable trust. I still have the rights to live there. Yes. And now we don't have to worry about Medicaid. No, you don't have to worry about Medicaid Claim, claiming looking the home at that as an all, asset, yeah. but it has to clear five years from the time Correct. you put it in there. So if you're kind of rolling somebody, the dice a little bit. Yeah. If you got somebody that's 80 years old, they don't have much that long to live really if you look at the life tables. So if they want to create a trust, I don't know if I would advise them to do that or not, because once they do it, if it's if that person goes into a nursing home within the five years, it's going to undo the purpose of the trust. The entire it's thing. It's a gift within five years. Because the whole gift would get clawed back, Correct. not just the gift calls, is a called back into the estate. Yeah, the whole thing. Okay. It's not done by the year. It's the whole thing would be called back. So you're, yeah, you are rolling the dice there a little bit. That's right. And another thing, kind of on that same line, it'll say that you know you can give up to I think it's fourteen, fifteen thousand a year gift. Is it fourteen or now? Fifteen thousand. Fifteen. No. So you can give away fifteen thousand a year. But in the Medicaid world, that's not a good thing because if you've done it and you go into a nursing home within five years, Medicaid will ask if you've made any gifts within five years. If you have, they're called back in, so that's added back to the person's assets. Which could be detrimental because oh. a lot of times they're giving gifts to to children who need the assets for college or correct. or whatever. That would create a big bind for. That's uh, correct. You could even give fifty twenty thousand to the church. They could call that back in too. <laughs> a bit awkward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Guys, you have any questions? Well, this is all you know a fascinating subject. A lot of it's predicated on the behavior of the family as well. So when we're talking about these irrevocable trusts and irrevocable gifts, the mother and father are actually giving up the assets that they've accumulated over their entire lifetime and giving up control of that. And it's imperative that the beneficiaries of those trusts are, in fact, behaviorally structured in such a way that they don't spend down those assets before the five years. Yeah. Ideally, the person who created the trust thinks that his or her children are going to behave, <laughs> so to speak. But if they decide, let's say they decide they don't want to give mom back any money or dad any money, what does what happens? Uh, here's what happens. The grantor, the people who created the, the mother and father, they simply change the beneficiaries of the trust, which is what you're retaining the right to do. That's the defect in the trust. It's an intentionally defective grantor trust is what it is. And that's the defect, <laughs> that be, you can retain the right to change beneficiaries. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see um, if that's how often that's really happened, though. Because you think about the time it's all being used, you're in the nursing home, you probably don't have 
the wherewithal to know that you'd be changing. You may not, but the, <laughs> your wife may the spouse, know. That's, that's true. true. There's a yeah. spouse. Yeah. Yeah. And the, usually the person who's picked at the trust as the trustee is a son or daughter you trust implicitly. So they know what's going that, on. Yeah, that's true. Well, this has been a great conversation. In the back of my mind, I just keep thinking we got to buy a good long-term care policy. and and But that's a whole different conversation, which we actually have teed up for uh, in here in a few weeks with uh, one of the guys we trust uh, with those products. Obviously, we don't at Wiser, we don't sell any uh, products for commission. We, we get hired by the hour or as a percentage of assets under management to help solve financial problems for families. But certainly long-term care is something that's very important to help with these high-cost scenarios. And we have to understand, too, that I think the average stay in a nursing home is, is three years or, so, less. You know, <laughs> or less. So a lot of times we're just trying to solve it for – maybe a few months or the most, you know, to maybe 24 months at times, depending on the health situation. I think it's important that a lot of times I feel like people get confused between Medicare and Medicaid. So you maybe know, we should have started with that. <laughs> well, I just want to clarify. <laughs> I'm sure we'll go over two in the long-term care podcast, but you know, you turn 65, you go on Medicare and that's providing your health insurance benefits. But a lot of people feel like once they go into a nursing home or assisted living, that it's going to cover that and it won't. So that's why you either can pay with long-term care insurance if you're lucky enough to have it, or you're going to have to pay out of pocket. So what we've been discussing is Medicaid, where you're learning to, ha- or you're finding ways to tax efficiently shield the assets and the income so that you can get government assistance on that side. Correct. Well, these are all legitimate strategies, and it's not something that you know is normally talked about around the cocktail hour. You know, so you know you need to seek out counsel. Quite frankly, you need to see how people who, who know this sort of thing so you can consider your options. Because really, what you're trying to do is make sure that all your debts are paid, your care is given, and your surviving spouse has enough to go on and continue to live in the quality of life that the two of you had intended to begin with. Well, Anthony, thank you for your time today. And um, thank you for uh, working with the clients that we've sent you. If you're listening to the podcast, you want to learn more about this process, you can reach out to Anthony at uh, akirkland.com. He's just off the square here in uh, Marietta. And thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.